This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's future award-winning Talk of Buffalo podcast, I got recurring guest, sports writer, sports personality, very good friend of mine, Joe Yurden. And I'll tell you what, we got plenty to talk about. The Buffalo Bills, 6-2 and two at the halfway point of their season. Wasn't pretty, not pretty at all, but you know what? A win is a win, and they exercised a big demon on Sunday. They beat the Patriots. That's a wrap for the 2020 Patriots. 2-5, and five, they're done. It's the Bills, it's the Miami Dolphins left to fight it out in the AFC East. Advantage Buffalo, as far as I'm concerned. I'll get Joe's thoughts on the game, his takeaways from Sunday, his takeaways at the midpoint of the season. We'll also talk some Sabres. Haven't had Joe on in a couple weeks. Of course, Joe's a hockey guy first and foremost. I'll get his thoughts on the Taylor Hall signing, um, the Jack Quinn selection in the draft, a pick that did not feel overly popular among Sabres fans. Anyway, I'll get his thoughts on that. Election day going on right now. How crazy that's just going to be on social media. Ugh. Complete cesspool on Tuesday night. And surely for the days ahead, coming over this election, uh, I'll ask Joe if it's now unofficially Christmas season in his book. Now that we're into November, plenty coming up with my boy Joe. I'll have that for you in just a minute. Before that, though, need to let you know that today's show is being supported by 26 Shirts. At 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo theme design is sold for a short period of time. Then that shirt is gone. They do so many good things. And here's the best part. For every single shirt sold, every shirt, a donation is made to that specific worthy campaign or to a charity each and every time. They've been at it for like seven years now. And I'll tell you what, raise so much money. In fact, their designs have managed to raise a donate nearly one million dollars. Del Reed, that crew, they do such an amazing job enriching the lives of so many people. It's awesome to see. And I'll tell you what, and this is important. The shirts that they put out, dude, they're fresh, man. They're outstanding looking shirts. They look good, comfy, sported wear. I have several of them myself. I'm sure many of you do as well. Head on over to 26shirts.com and see what causing you this week. And on that note, let's get it started. Let's do the pod. Let's do it. See, you know when I walk out here, you are looking at what we have come to know as championship material. All right, everybody. Episode 266, Championship Material, Talk About Flow podcast. Got my boy with me today, recurring guest, sports writer, sports personality, Joe Yurden. What's going on, Joe? How you doing? Doing great, Patrick. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good. So, look, we're taping this Monday, November 2nd, and I've seen pictures on Twitter all morning long. Snow on cars, frost on cars. 
What's up with that, dude? <laughs> uh, I can tell you on the west side, uh, whatever snow there was that was happening last night was not there this morning. So uh, feel, feeling good about the west side, maybe not so much out in the suburbs where they usually they usually take it on the chin a little bit more. Not that there was anything to take on the chin this time, but, uh, but yeah, winter's here. I was I was just taking uh, I just had to go to the mailbox and uh, send some stuff out. Not my not my mail in ballot, mind you. That that I took care of that a while ago, but. Um, <laughs> But it's it's really windy. It's it's cold. Like it's not Buffalo cold yet, but it, it's cold from where we were. So it's coming. But ain't here yet. It's coming. <laughs> you know, low key thing. By the way, living in Western New York, you're living on the West Side. I grew up on the West Side. It does matter in the winter when it starts to get to these months. It really does matter. Now a lot of people. My wife is from the South Towns. I lived in the South Towns for a lot of my last say 15 years or so before coming down here to Florida over the last few years. But uh. Yeah, it's a nice significant difference in lack of snow. Not that it doesn't snow in the city and north of it, but uh, definitely less in the southern southern towns. That's that's for sure. Yeah, you, you'd think with you know being able to see the river, you know, so close by, and uh, you know how it connects the lakes, there there might be more of that. Like you get more of that, like uh, water generated weather, but we don't. We don't exactly get the brunt of that unless the weather's blowing in the wrong direction for us. It means it's better for somebody else around the area. It just it stinks for whoever's getting it the most. Usually, usually though, it's, it's everybody down south of us that gets it on the gets it right on the nose. Right? Is it? Uh, so it's November second. Is it officially, or I should say, unofficially, Christmas season in in the Joe Yurden apartment right now, or is it like me where that shit don't start to the day after Thanksgiving? That's me, and I know it's pretty unpopular these days. I kind of got beat up a little bit on social media because I said that. I said, for me, Christmas season don't start till after Thanksgiving. I don't know where you fall on that. Like Christmas is going on right now, the Christmas sales, people are putting their decorations up and shit. Where yeah. do you fall on that? Yeah, you know, I've had enough retail jobs to know that uh, I want Christmas to wait until the very last possible minute because mm-hmm. otherwise it's it's just a daily reminder. But um but yeah, I'm a I'm an after Thanksgiving person, and if Thanksgiving ever happens early in November, like you know early in November, like twenty second or twenty third or whatever, like whatever the earliest that can happen is, um, I'll usually wait another week <laughs> after that <laughs> to really get into the Christmas spirit because up you know everything up until then is just like uh, enough. I I can tell you a story. I when, you know before I got into writing, I did radio, and uh, the the cluster I worked for Clear Channel in Albany, and the cluster that we were in. Uh, one, our oldie station would flip to Christmas music at some point. And there was one other station in the area that would do the, the same thing. Like they'd flip to 24 seven Christmas music for the holidays. And like, they had like their own version of a staring contest that whoever went first, like our, our, our cluster had an idea, like they had a date set that like, if they, if these other guys don't go, uh, before this date, we're going to go on this date. And Sure enough, I you know I get, we got done with our you know I produced the morning show for the news talk station and uh, we got done with our show and we're, you know we're walking around and then suddenly everybody's running around like crazy running to the oldie station we're just like what's going on and they're like oh the other station flipped to Christmas and we're, we're we're going now like they changed their entire program log for the day changed everything like just ditched everything they had planned for the day changed it at a moment's notice to flip to all Christmas because the other station did and they didn't want to lose out. The best part of this story, though, is that the day they did it was on Veterans Day, and it was it was like November wow. no November eleventh or so, and they were just like, "Nope, we got to change today." 
And I was just like, wow, just like that, you guys flipped like that. And they're like, yeah, that's what we have to do. And I was like, you don't have to do it. They're like, yeah, well, you know, everybody will listen to the other station for Christmas music. I was like, I don't know, man. I think you just made your station unlistenable for the next month and a half. But who am I to say? <laughs> you know, well, for me personally, Christmas has always felt like Christmas season for me starts after Thanksgiving. Like I said, we've not, I don't think we've ever put it up a tree before Thanksgiving. I don't think we've ever done any decorating or anything. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. But anyway, since I've been down here in Florida, Christmas season will start for me until like four days before Christmas. Christmas starts for me when I go up to Buffalo. I've been up to Buffalo every year for the holidays because, uh, you know, again, I know every time I talk about Florida, it sounds like I'm just completely bashing everything about it, but I can't help myself. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. The weather is awesome, but it sucks during Christmas time, dude. I mean, it looks cosmetically nice. Like the trees look really pretty. The palm trees with lights on them in certain parts of town, but it's hard to get in a Christmas kind of festive spirit when it's 72 degrees out in December. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like to me, Christmas starts when you feel that cold and I get back into Buffalo and, and see some snow on the ground. So for the last four or five years, Christmas actually hasn't even started until, uh, like I said, a couple of days before I get back home, which will be, you know, more of the same this year. But anyway, I don't know. It's just something I see a lot of on social media. I guess people get bored. Try to distract yourself from this election, which by the way, I mean, we're taping this Monday. We're not going to talk about our political views on this podcast. First of all, people have already voted and they already are voting right now. Cause again, this is dropping on election day, but I will say this. I know I saw that you put out a tweet Monday that you're going to kind of stay away from social media for at least a few days. I, I kind of feel the same way. Doesn't that feel like it's going to be a smart move? Because I mean, look, social media, we've talked about this many times. It's got a lot of good things and then it can be a cesspool yeah. in, in other ways. And God, man, I'm just thinking about, again, most people are listening to this anyway, Tuesday morning. Just think about what it's going to be like later tonight as results start to come in. I don't think there's going to be a winner declared. Well, someone might declare themselves a winner, but yeah. I don't think the election is going to be decided on Tuesday. But anyway, whatever side of the fence you're on, man, the tweets, the uh, the memes, the just the going after people for their opinion, it's just going to be maybe historic. I don't know. How long have you been on Twitter for, Joe? Uh, my first year was 2009. All right. Uh, me too. Yeah. Me yeah, too. I, I jumped on not long after I got fired from radio. So yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was like so a more than year. a decade, more than a decade. I, I don't know of a day, maybe election night, 2016 might rival this, but this might be the ugliest night in humanity ever. And then the short history, I should say anyway, of social media just going to be ugly, ain't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it already, I mean, it's been nothing. I mean, <laughs> speaking personally, it's been a lot of doom scrolling for me for, for a few months now, but, um, but I mean, as far as this goes, this is like a whole other level where right. everything now is just, you know, with everybody with having projections and polls and this, that, and the other thing. And I just, it makes me think back to 2016 and I was, I was, working, I was working at a bookstore and I remember I went on break early in the night and checked up on things to see it, you know, see where things were sitting and, um, things were really close and it was just like, wow, well, if, if Hillary takes this state or this state, it's probably over. It's over before my shift's even over. Um, and then my shift was over, you know, our shift was over at, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night, whatever it was. And we looked and we were just like, oh, things did not go that way. All right. Well, I, I guess we got to gear up for this then. Okay. Well, let's, 
that it was, but it was just such like a, a roller coaster of a night because like, I mean, it was uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically quiet at the store because everybody was, everybody was at home uh, watching to see how things were going to turn out. And, um, you know, yet we were on the, you know, we were on the bookstore. We can't check up on stuff on our phones or anything. So we we're just kind of clueless. You know, if somebody came in and said something, we'd be like, Oh, okay. But nobody came in the whole night. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, it was weird. Like everything about that was really weird. So I didn't really wasn't in touch with like how, th- you know, results were coming, you know, as, as States closed up. But, um, but this year it's, it's a lot different, a lot more, a lot more free time on my hands. And now I'm just kind of like, do I need, need to shut my phone off for the night and, you know, watch, watch a bunch of movies and, and see, you know, just to, just to not, you know, just like wonder what the hell's happening. Just let it be and try to catch it in the morning after. Right. I'll tell you, Joe, it's crazy. And I always, I, I feel like everybody in their life at some point should experience living, even if it's just for a short amount of time in another culture. Now I'm a New Yorker born and raised in New York's a democratic state. And it's not that it's always voted Democrat, but although it almost always does, and it's not a battleground state. Everybody knows that New York, especially now, is definitely a blue state. So anyway, I've grown up around that. And like, let me just say this, okay? Without getting into specifics, I voted for Joe Biden, all right? I'm I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put that out there. I'm not saying why. I'm not gonna try to talk anyone else into doing anything. I'm not gonna get into any of that ugliness. I voted for Joe Biden. That's just my personal vote. But that aside, in New York, there's plenty of Donald Trump supporters. Obviously, he's the minority there. But like, you go around like the West Side, where you're from, or South Buffalo, a lot of these areas, if you're driving around with a Donald Trump flag on your truck or some stuff on your, uh, on your, on your lawn, there's a good chance that flag is going to get ripped down. You know what I'm saying? It's just yeah. the way it is in Buffalo. I got last Saturday, this past Saturday, Joe, probably the biggest culture shock that I've ever seen. So I got up Saturday morning, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know that this stuff was going on. And my wife and I went to a supermarket, maybe 20 minutes away to get some chicken and some stuff. My son's girlfriend was coming over and my wife was making like this buffalo theme meal, this mac and cheese stuff that she does. And we were looking for some pumpkins because literally we waited till the last day. Anyway, we drove through town in three different ways and there was literally... Donald Trump rallies going on across the entire town. People pulled over on their lawns with flag. I've never in my life seen more flags of of any presidential candidate in my life. The whole, there was like a procession going down this road called 301. I mean, God, it had to be 20, 25 minutes, miles long. Just trucks with Trump flags all over the place. People pull over on the side. It was like if your town, if you're from a small town, and your high school football team won the state title, and you come back and you have a parade that day, and the whole town celebrates that championship team. That's what it was like down here. I mean, Florida's a battleground state, but I live in a very, probably 70 to 75% Donald Trump is going to win the vote in in this particular region of Florida. I just, it was crazy. I'd never seen anything like it in my entire lifetime. I mean, dude, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people lined up all along the streets. And it wasn't just like one street. Mm-hmm. It was like the whole town. We took a different way home and they were all over the place too. It's just crazy. The cultural difference. And I'm not saying one's right or what's wrong. What's wrong. It's just so different down here or wherever you live, if a Southern state, if you live in Donald Trump country, as opposed to if you live in a, 
a blue Democratic area. It's just so night and day. The culture difference. Oh, my God. It's just crazy. Yeah. I, they, my, my only point of reference here is just around this neighborhood, you know, because it was it was it was actually 26, 2016 when I moved into this this part of but well I moved six blocks away to a, closer to the west side but uh, right but uh, I remember back then during the primaries there were there were Bernie signs everywhere just everywhere 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 and then when it became clear Bernie wasn't going to win the Bernie signs came down none of the Hillary signs really went up I mean it went up in a few places you know uh, you know obviously at the same houses but um, but this time around it's been it's been I can I can say any place that had a sign it had a had it's had a Biden sign on it except yeah. for one house that I that I walked past that was either it was either on Norwood or it was on Ashland it was one of you know one of the one of the streets in between um, Elmwood and Richmond and it, the whole house and it looked like a you know this big white house right in the middle of the block but they had they had every conceivable Trump sign and flag and little tiny flag and banner hanging out in front of their house. And, you know, I walked past it a couple days before Halloween and I was like, I don't know if this is really the stuff to have on your house in this neighborhood before mischief night <laughs> <laughs> and Halloween night. I don't know if, I don't know if that's really the thing to be having out there. If you're, uh, if you're, if you're hoping to really show the neighborhood who you, who you really like, because right. they're, they're in a definitive minority over on this side. And, you know, I've taken some other walks deeper into the West side, just walking around. I mean, uh, the polling location I went to is on Grant Street uh, when I voted earlier, and you know everything was just extreme Biden everywhere. So, I mean, I mean, it, it's you know this is downtown Buffalo, and that's that's how the I mean that's how everybody really bends here, anyways. But it was just staggering to see you know one person just being very out and proud uh, supporting Trump like that. Which I mean, and just I'm talking about the entire front of the house just covered in everything, and I was like, wow, they went all in. Okay, well. You know, good, good for that's you. That's kind for, of ballsy. For that's that's a little bit ballsy, but, man. Man, it, <laughs> but it's just it's like seeing it's like seeing a unicorn in the wild around here to see somebody that's that's very much adamant about about that side of the spectrum. And it's just like, wow, okay. Well, and I mean, that's what the difference is. You know, we hear all the time the silent majority, and I get it a little more now because, like in a, like just say Western New York or at least parts of it anyway, there are more Trump supporters in. A lot of people know, but they are kind of quiet about it, maybe in part because, I mean, let's be real here. If you're walking around the east side, the west side, in a lot of areas with a with a mega hat on, it's viewed anyway by some people as racist. You might get your ass whooped mm -hmm. for wearing that shit. Yeah. And it's just funny because, like, down here, I, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if it's a rich, put it this way. If I live in a rich neighborhood, I am the poorest living in a rich neighborhood person <laughs> in the United States of America. But that said... I'm telling you, man, for every one Biden sign, I probably see 30 Trump signs. It's just absolutely nuts. But anyway, I'm just ready for this shit to be over. Yeah. I really hope if more than above all else that a there's an actual winner and that it doesn't end up in the Supreme Court and whatever happens. And I'm sure you agree with this and most people listening to who don't like this division. I just want if it's never felt to me, Joe, and, I, and I'm not a big political person. I don't think you are either. It's never felt to me more divided ever. I can't remember a time where it's felt more divided, where if you're a Democrat or a Republican or blue or red, whatever way you want to call it, where it's almost like not even the same country anymore. It's almost like Iraq versus Iran and, you know, in a nonviolent way for the most part anyway. Yeah. That's how I feel. I just hope no matter what happens, when this is over at some point, you know, we, things start to come together, which by the way, again, without getting into too many specifics, that's why I voted for Biden. I just... 
I feel like of the two candidates, it's just, I, I'm just tired of the division. And I just, uh, I'm ready for the shit to end. It basically is what I'm getting at here. I'm yeah. sure you feel the same. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a very hard year <laughs> and anything that makes it less difficult is, is what I'm, is what I'm all for. And, yeah. um, yeah, I, hear you. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I, I got this from my parents. I don't like talking about who I voted, but, um, and you know, I don't really, I don't discuss politics on my Twitter feed at all or on Facebook, honestly. Uh, Cause you can't win. I mean, much. it's lose, it's, lose, man. It's just not worth it. It's way too much, but, um, but I know that <laughs> I know that there is there's one there's one person who's made a lot of lives way more difficult, and that's not the person I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm that's <laughs> not the person more. who I cast a vote for. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, I'm gonna take a wild guess that the person you voted for shares this same first name as you. Let's just uh, yeah. let's, <laughs> let's put it this way: there's there's a lot of t-shirts out there that make me feel a lot happier about myself. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something that makes at least most Western New Yorkers pretty happy is the Bills. This is a good way to kind of transition into some sports talk. Let me start with a quote here, not a quote, a tweet from my buddy Bruce Nolan, who does the Bruce Exclusive, a great uh, Buffalo Bills podcast. This is what he said after the game, and I want to get your take on this because it really resonated with me. I agree with it. He says this. He goes, this win is guilty pleasure, empty calories. It doesn't make you feel any better about future games on the Bills schedule, and it doesn't make me feel any better about Josh Allen. It just feels good in this moment to beat the Pats. Like, kind of break that down a little bit. Do you kind of feel the same way? Like, all right, I don't know that this team is any better than I thought they were going into this game. And I'm not any more sold or less sold on Josh Allen than I was coming into this game. But at the end of the day, no matter what, no matter how ugly it was, no matter how shorthanded New England was, all that matters at the end of the day is the win. They got the win. They're three and a half games up on the Patriots. For all intents and purposes, the Patriots are shot. They're two and five now. That's a wrap for them for 2020. You know what I'm saying? When you hear something like that, that tweet, do you kind of feel the same way? Like, what's your biggest takeaway from that game? Let's start there. I, I look at it this way. The, the Pats are bad. <laughs> the Pats are yeah. bad this year. And, like, yeah, everybody's hell-bent and angry about how the Pats, you know, the hammer versus nail rivalry, <laughs> quote-unquote rivalry this right. has been. Um, yeah. And everybody wants to get everybody wants to get back at, at the bully. Right? And that's, you know, I'm not going to begrudge anybody for, for feeling happy about getting one on them. Uh, winning the way you know, win, you know, getting a win where you know they strip Newton of the ball at the end of, to end the game, basically, and um, coming away with W. Like that's hey, that's you know, take the win and and you know, go away satisfied that you're that you're now another game up on them and putting you know, putting another lump of dirt on their grave for the season. But um, at the same point, uh, and it's not that the Bills can look past opponents; they can't look, you know, they can't do stuff like that. They're not in a position where they can just, you know, if they lose a bad game and just go, ah, well, whatever, get them next week. Um, that win is not inspiring in any way. <laughs> um, I think calling it empty calories is a good way to put it. The Bills have bigger goals this year than the Patriots do. The Patriots, I mean, people might have talked themselves into thinking the Patriots were going to be the the team that the Bills were going to have to duke it out with for the division. Um, but I think once guys started opting out, you know, and I mean, it, people don't want to like, like wipe it away and say that, you know, because they're shorthanded because they're, you know, because of this, that, and the other thing, it's not the same. I mean, hey, like we said, a win's a win, but the, the, you know, the Patriots were not, you know, they're, they're not a contender. 
and the Bills, are, you know, the Bills are supposed to be a contender, and contenders are supposed to like absolutely kick teams like this right in the crotch and and move on to the next week. Yeah, but the, but I think this is one where take if there's a page to take away from the Bill Belichick book here, it's like after a win like that, the only thing McDermott should just say is like whatever, we're on to next week. Just it's over, it's done with. We're not giving them a second thought. Like, yeah, I mean, if you want to rally around beating the Patriots, I mean, okay, cool, but like. I mean, they they might finish two and fourteen this year. They might finish three and thirteen. Like you know, at that point, who cares? Who cares that you beat them? You know, by by a field goal in a game that they were <laughs> the Patriots were driving to maybe win the game, and you get a you know you get a strip set or you get a strip. But I mean, you know, be happy that you beat them. But like, it shouldn't take you nine years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, well, it's it's so many things that are a part of it where it's just like it's more of like a self own to be like. To, to start crowing about beating them where it's just like, wow, you haven't beaten them in, oh, nine years. Oh, well, okay, I guess. Like, be proud of that. But, like, this team, this, this Pats team is dog crap. Like that. Now, you've covered, a, you've covered a professional sports team. Now, granted, with the, with the Buffalo Sabres, they never really had any expectations, so to speak. They had really good starts of their season, and then they fell off badly. Mm-hmm. But with this team, again, I know that, you haven't grown up a Bills fan. You're not necessarily even a Bills fan, which is, again, I've said this many times, it's one of the reasons why I like talking Buffalo Bills with you because I feel like I'm going to get an honest perspective from you, not something that's jaded and skewed by your own personal fandom of the team. But anyway, here's my my question for you. Fans. Now, I know, you know, it's so easy to say, well, fans on social media, when the reality is, that just represents a small portion of Buffalo Bills fans. People are actually active on Twitter for an example, but those people that are on Twitter, it seems to me anyway, that even at six and two right now, they're halfway through the year, six and two fans are a little bit cranky. It's like, what the hell were your expectations supposed to be? All right. I mean, you just beat new England. You're six and two, you're three and a half games up on them. A lot of the games have not been pretty. Do you think that maybe they played so well the first month of the year and the offense looked like world beaters, like they were going to be one of the best offenses in the entire NFL, and maybe because that slowed down a little bit, the defense has struggled some. I get it, but it's like, what were your expectations supposed to be? If you're 6-2 and two and you're still not really happy with this team, which it seems like more fans than I'm expecting, that's the way they feel. It's not that they're maybe saying they're unhappy with the team might be a, a bit much, but they're not that impressed with the team. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. Yeah. It's like, do you think fans' expectations right now are a little bit out of control? Just like I said, when you covered the Sabres and they would run off 10 in a row, maybe the expectations just got too high too quick and they were bound to get let down. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I, I think, well, things got inflated with a 4-0 start. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. And then, you know, they, you know, Allen lights, lights up the Jets and the Dolphins with, you know, a couple of big weeks to start. It's like, okay, then they beat the Rams and you're like, Okay, all right. Like th- this, this might be a real thing here. And you know, Allen played great that game too. Um, you know, and then the Raiders game was like, you know, it looks like you know, in retrospect, it looks like a good win. Uh, yeah. But like, you saw some cracks in that game where you're just like, okay, like, okay, maybe you know, maybe there's some things to work on here. You know, once the Raiders discovered that they could run on Buffalo in the second half uh, after not doing it in the entire first half, and they were just like, oh wait, we can run on these guys. Okay, let's do that. Um, and then Tennessee just completely blew that open the following week. And like the, you know, the, the cracks in the armor are there, uh, for Buffalo. So it's, you know, I think, I think this is something where, and not that you can really glean anything from preseason. I think saying like not having preseason games is, uh, 
is, you know, I think that's just, it's totally overblown if, if people are thinking like that has anything to do with like the expectation part of it. But, um, but I mean, Buffalo is supposed, they're supposed to win the division this year. Like that, <laughs> that's supposed to be the, 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 the easy quote unquote, the easy thing for them because, you know, the sure. Jets are bad Patriots, you know, Patriots are decimated and Miami. I, I don't, I don't know what the hell Miami is right now. Like, <laughs> does anybody really know what they are? I mean, I, 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 I don't buy them, but they're still, they're playing well. So, they Maybe feel like a team that's built for next year. Right. Yeah, yeah. I know where you're getting at. Yeah, I agree with you. But like, I don't know. Like, I, I To me, the, the the ultimate goals of this Bills team are a lot higher than like the expectations have been for the Bills in the past, where it's just like, okay, maybe they have a good year. Maybe they can challenge for a playoff spot. Those expectations don't exist for this team. This team is supposed to win the division. This team is supposed to, you know, maybe get to the AFC title game. Maybe, you know, maybe get on, you know, to get to that level. Like the expectations are different now. You can't just say, well, at least they made the playoffs. No, <laughs> no, that's, that's just, you know, setting the, setting the, setting the goal to be so bad that it's easy to jump so that you can feel okay at the end of the, at the end of the day, if they don't, they don't punch through and, and do something different. Like this is a team that probably should have beat Houston last year in that, in that playoff game. They, to me, sure. they absolutely should have, but, um, but right now you see the way that they play against the, the you know, the apparent elite teams, you know, Tennessee, Kansas City, and you know Kansas City. You know that game was supposed to be a, a, a you know a gunslinger shootout, and Kansas City decided like we don't need to do that. We can just run on these guys and still win. And Mahomes was still really good, and right. that makes you wonder like, well, what do they do if they decide to throw all over them? Or you know what if the, you know what happens if it gets into a, a shootout type game? You know, does Kansas City you know does Kansas City put fifty up on them? I don't know. Like, I mean, I think we're at that point now, but. Um, but they've gotten fat on some teams that aren't good. And if you're not smoking those teams that aren't good, then I think it's fair to question how good the team actually is. Now, lucky lucky for them, their schedule coming up is evil, and they're going to get to figure out exactly how good they are really soon. And that, to me, you know, for all the gnashing of teeth that Bills fans have been doing over the, you know, winning close games against questionable teams, then – you know we're gonna we're gonna see exactly where they stand. I mean, Seattle is Seattle's wicked, and you know Arizona's playing really good, and somehow the Niners are are completely a toss up. So you know one week they look great, another week they look awful, and the Chargers looked okay. The Steelers are undefeated, so you know like <laughs> I right. mean, it's the, the schedule coming up is is gonna be the real test of this team. Right, I I agree with that, I, and let me say this too, and I feel like kind of weird that I'm having to find bright spots on a team that again is six and two, dude, they're on, I'm not saying they're going to keep up the pace, but they're on pace to finish this year 12 and four right now. Yeah. But when I look at this team and you can look at it as, okay, well the offense played like shit against the jets, although that's not entirely true, but they couldn't get in the end zone. That was a problem. They've had issues, but I look at it this way too. That first month of the year, the offense 100% carried this team. They looked like, the greatest show on turf, the best offense I've seen since the Rams when they were a Super Bowl contender every year. That was really cool. Then they played two really good teams and they frankly stunk both games. I thought Tennessee for the most part dominated them. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs game was a nine point game, but I mean, you know, and I know it felt like the Chiefs were kind of toying with them all game. Just run yeah. on this. All right, go, go away, little boy. At yeah. the end of the game, you know, when it was winning time, that's what the Chiefs did. I'm sure you feel the same way. But then against the Jets, what impressed me about that game and what I liked about it was it was the first time all year where the defense said, 
you know what? We can't get in the end zone. We better go out and we better win this game. And they did. And I like that. And even this Sunday, it was not a very impressive win. But, I mean, they did score 24 points on a Bill Belichick coach team. And I know there's down Stephon Gilmore, down a lot of guys, but there's still pretty good defense out there. They're still very well coached. It's a, a tough game against a divisional opponent with no fans in the stands, cold, wet, very windy. And I thought the Bills offense played reasonably well. And I like the fact that, again, the first month was all about throwing the ball. Josh Allen, the gunslinger. This game against New England, he was, meh, you know, I thought it was yeah. okay. But the big thing is, is that they, they ran for like, what, they ran for like 190 yards, man. Or something like that. I mean, both guys had over 80 yards. Moss and Singletary Moss had two touchdowns. It was their best game. It was 188 yards the Bills rushed for. Uh, you know, I like the fact that they won this week with running. They won the week before with defense. And they won their first four with throwing the ball. This is a kind of, that to me is a sign of a good team because not everything needs to be working for your, for your team to win. They can win in a variety of ways. That's probably my biggest bright spot from Sunday. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And I think I think what comes from that though is that you can you can do that against lesser teams. Like if if but like if sure and I mean so much of the football discussion and I mean it comes up in well if this went differently than this would have had then that would have happened. But you can't really judge things by that. And I know that kills a lot of conversation about football. You know, like you know I think yeah, but you're right. You know, I I, th- I think of how Allen played against the Jets, and people say, "Well, you know, if that one guy didn't drop that ball, he would have had 300 yards and a touchdown." Blah blah blah. blah. I'm like, okay, okay, fine, <laughs> okay, fine, okay, fine. But like, that's not what happened, and that's not worth discussing. You know, like stuff happens in football. That's the way it goes. But, um, but I, I still get stuck on saying, you know, what happens if this, you know, if this is your performance against. Seattle or Arizona or, you know, the Steelers, right? What, what happens in those instances when if Allen's not clicking and okay, you got to rely on the run game. Can you beat the Steelers with your run game? Uh, I don't know. Right. Seattle with just with Allen having a subpar game. Probably not. Right. Like, or can you, can you be Seattle with, uh, you know, not getting to the quarterback with, with the pass rush right. and you got, you're throwing a, Lockett and, and DK Metcalf and, and guys like that, as opposed to freaking uh, uh, Jacoby Myers and some <laughs> dude named Gunnar Oslowski or whatever the hell his name is in Demir Bird and Cam Noonan, who's not very good at throwing the football at this point. No, you're 100% right when you say that. That's a very fair point that if you play like that, if you play against Seattle like you did against New England, probably going to be a long day for you. So I think you're spot on with that. Yeah, but, I, I, but I mean, at the same point, they got to win. And, you know, if if they were losing, you know, if they lose a game like that to new England, like radio today or radio, radio on Monday would have been a nightmare. Radio post game would have been a nightmare just to listen to people going like, sure. How do you lose it to this team? How does this keep happening? You know, it, 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 if there's one thing to say about new England is that it's better for the fan psyche than I think it is for the players. (laughs) Right. Just, just for the, you know, for the fan mentality, just to be like, okay, all right. You know, these guys are, dead and buried like we can forget about them now like we beat them can you imagine the pressure joe that the bills must have felt this week just imagine the pressure okay they're better than new england by two games and the standings coming in they're playing a guy a quarterback who's out with covid and who's kind of played like shit except for the first two games of the year they don't have stefan gilmore 
They don't have Julian Edelman. Mm-hmm. They're on the road, and you got a chance to put them away. Just imagine. You're right. I can't imagine what sports talk radio would have been like uh, on Monday. Right. Had they? Because uh, if you're not going to beat them Sunday, when the hell are you ever going to beat them? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you like really? Are you really counting down the days till after Christmas to face them in in New England? Like no. Yeah. I'm, I'm Monday Night Football. <laughs> like, no. On top of that. Hopefully at that point you're already sitting starters getting ready for the playoffs too, you know, with two weeks to go. Like that's like that's the mindset you have to be in. It's like whatever, okay, so we're you know, we're five and three, but uh we, we you know, we can we can rattle these off and still win the division by three games. Uh, you know, anyways, because who cares? Everybody else is trash. How cool was it that this defense that has struggled for a lot of the year and guys like Tremaine Edmonds has been not healthy and not effective, frankly. Ed Oliver has been okay. I mean, he's been asked to do some things at the defensive tackle position, play the other uh, technique spot that he's not supposed to be playing. So there's a lot of things, but these, like, these name guys aren't doing all that much. And then it's a guy like Justin Zimmer, an undrafted free agent who I'd never even heard of about two months ago. I literally never heard of him. Uh, he, he makes not just a play of the game, but that was a play of the season, knocking mm-hmm. that ball out. You know what I mean? What, what a nice... Uh, I thought about that. And then as I saw his mom on Twitter and a lot, cause a lot of bills fans and media people were retweeting her. Yeah. I'm like, what a proud mother she must be. What a great moment for a kid who goes undrafted, mm-hmm. starts on the practice squad, gets called up and he's playing a rivalry game. And he makes, like I said, the play of the season. That to me, that was one of those really, like really good feel good moments, man. That was awesome. See, I was very happy with the way the game ended just for that alone. Yeah. And you know what? That, yeah, I think you're right. That's, that's a huge, that's a humongous play because the, the way that that drive was trending was trending very poorly for Buffalo. Like, cause oh, either, yeah. cause either the Patriots are tying that game or they're taking the lead with less than a minute to go. And, right. uh, the, the, I was not, not impressed with how the defense handled that entire drive until, till Zimmer punches out that ball. Um, so that, I mean, that makes that play huge. And then, uh, you know, but that's, but that's the kind of thing that you need to get a spark at, you know, out of your guys is, you know, you know, your name guys are struggling. Okay, fine. Somebody else steps up, makes a play. Okay. That rallies everybody. Um, but you're going to need more of that next week. <laughs> you're going to need a yeah. lot more of that against Seattle because, uh, you know, Cam Newton is like a shadow of himself. Russell Wilson's probably the MVP right now. So. Oh, he definitely. Um, you know, it's, I mean, it's funny too. I kind of have tempered my expectations already. I mean, we're taping this later on Monday, and it's only going to be Tuesday when this drops. I've already had my expectations tempered because of Tennessee and Kansas City. I was so excited about that start that I was like sky high going into those two games, and you know, I, I kind of they they got beat. They got beat by better teams, and I think Seattle. You can make a case that Seattle, except for maybe Pittsburgh, right now is the best team in the NFL. Seattle doesn't really have a lot of holes. Yeah, maybe that could be a shootout. I mean, their defense isn't great, but that offense, the Bills' defense hasn't been that well played that well this year. And yeah, Seattle's the kind of team they're going to put up forty on Buffalo if the defense looks like it did against New England. That's for sure. Yeah, they now, they really need they really need everybody to just step up and have a game. You know, a game of the year. It's a good thing they've got it at home because uh, if they were if that was one of the games they had to fly out west for, I would not like their chances at all. I think they at least this way. At home, maybe you're maybe you're hoping for some bad weather, just a little something to kind of neutralize Seattle. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. So I, I'm pretty sure, based on what you said, but going into the season, your expectations would have been for the Bills to be at the top of the division and mm-hmm. win the division. Yeah. So we're halfway through the year. They're six and two. 
The Patriots are are done. They're toast. They're not coming back from where they're at right now. They're no. they're more likely to win five games than they are to win nine or ten at this point. But anyway, so you got Miami left. Miami, I, I think, is four and three right now. But you know, they took out Fitzpatrick. Two is playing right now. That defense was very opportunistic. They they're a young team, and I think they're built more for next year. But anyway, that is pretty much standing in the path. I'd say. Right now, is your expectation for this team still, hey, win the division? Because winning the division gets you a home game in the playoffs mm-hmm. and maybe win a home game and, you know, you're playing with house money after that round. I, I feel like that's my expectation. It was going into the season, and I think it still is. I just feel a little better now about that expectation at the midpoint of the year than I did at the beginning. But is that pretty much where you're at, where yeah. I think they can play a home game and maybe win a home game before – you know, inevitably it ends. Yeah, no, I, I, as long as they don't somehow draw Jacksonville in that home game, I think, I think everything will be, uh, I think everything will be uh, just fine for them. Um, Going back to 1996 on us. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I, I, I've heard enough about that game from, from, from my friends. Cause I, yeah. Jim Kelly's last game, I think it was. Yep. Yeah. I yeah. got heard in that game. Yep. That was um, for him. But yeah, like I, I, I don't like at all how Miami's made up in any way and watching, watching how the, the, the bills just kind of torch them on torch their defense up uh, down there. Uh, the second game of the year, I'm not buying on Miami at all. Like, you know, they're four, like they're four and three and like, you know, they, I mean, they embarrass the 49ers like, like, okay, but like the 49ers are, you know, they're, they're Harvey two face. Like, you don't know what you're going to get out of them week to week. Yeah, they're, half their team is not – they're not the real 49ers. Yeah. They're a shell of what they are. The half their team is injured. Yeah, you want to talk about easy wins. I mean, at least the Bills have been in some okay – I mean, they did beat the Rams, mm-hmm. in fairness, to Miami this just this past week. Although Jared Goff had four turnovers in the first half. He more or less handed them that game. It's not like two in that offense did anything. Right. But besides that, and their other wins, like it was against a depleted San Francisco team, mm-hmm. and they beat the Jaguars and the Jets. Yeah. That's been their wins this year. So you want to talk about beating nobody right now. Yeah, it's, it's That's not, where the Dolphins are impressive. at. It's not impressive at all. And, um, but like, you know, they, I like played, them. they played Seattle really tight. I mean, they, you know, give, yeah. give them credit for that. They played Seattle really tight. And that, you know, that game was, that game was in Miami. So I don't know. I like, like them. I just don't think they're ready yet. I don't think this is their year. And I think they kind of cemented that when they went away from Fitzpatrick, who right now is a better quarterback than Tua. He won't be in a year or two, but right now he is. And they went away from him after a victory. I think after two straight victories, in fact, it was. They beat Frisco to beat the Jets, and Fitzpatrick's reward for that was getting benched. So I don't think they're – it's not that they're not trying to win right now, but I don't think they're built to win right now. So, I mean, again, if the Bills are ever going to win this division, it feels like it's got to be right now. Yeah, I think think Miami's success right now feels like house money uh for yeah. them like there's just like everything right now is just kind of like oh we didn't think we'd get four wins all year now we, <laughs> we got four in our first seven and we've won three in a row like hmm, okay well this seems okay let's let's see how this works and um but i mean it's, it's like i said i mean the division division's bad <laughs> it's amazing how bad like it, it and the afc east has always been bad it's just always been new england at the top of it but like it's still bad now it's just the, the bills are at the top of it um yeah but like the like they're they're in a spot right now where it's like okay, win your division, get your home playoff game, and then maybe maybe catch some catch some luck, and then you can maybe not have to deal with Pittsburgh 
Kansas City. Like I, I don't know. Like they're gonna have to deal with one of those two in the end, anyways. But, um, but I just like I'm looking through like these. I'm just looking at the other teams in the AFC. I just I don't like you know Pittsburgh looks great. Kansas City's great. Like Indy and Tennessee are both five and two. Like how the hell's Indy five and two? Like I. That, that blows me away that the, the Colts are somehow five and two, and I don't. They haven't right. impressed me at all. Baltimore's oh. five and two, and they haven't impressed. Like Jackson hasn't looked great, so uh, you know. And Cleveland's five and three, so I mean, they, they, there's like what, and they're taking like what eight teams in the playoffs this year. Seven, seven, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, four, four winners, four division winners, and three wild cards this year instead of two. Right, yeah. I, I think you could pick out. You could probably pick out the seven playoff teams right now. Almost. I think it's a toss up between I still think Tennessee's gonna win the South, but like it's a toss up between like Cleveland and Indy and maybe the Raiders. Maybe yeah. like that for yeah. your seventh team, like I don't know, like nobody else is really that impressive. I right? it's just but but it's you know, but it's Pittsburgh and KC and I think Buffalo's probably the number three team, maybe Tennessee. Like I don't know. Like it's it's so weird. It's so weird. Like and you know, never mind the NFC. But like, I, yeah, I think all the good, I think the really good teams are in the AFC, aside from Seattle. I think that's, I think that's really the way it breaks down. Like Green Bay doesn't, Green Bay doesn't impress me. Tampa, New Orleans, like New Orleans looked like ass yesterday against Chicago. Um, yeah, and everybody in the NFC East is awful. So I mean, you know, I, like, honest, I hear you, buddy. I, I honestly, Joe, I think at the end of the day, when you look into if we're going to forecast the second half of the year and, and potentially beyond, and then a postseason. The biggest factor for me with the Bills, because again, I think they're in a division where I don't, they can almost cruise to a divisional title. Mm -hmm. If they go four and four over their last eight games, that's 10 and six, that's going to get it done. That's going to win the division, especially because they beat Miami already in Miami and they end the season at home against Miami. 10 and six will get it done. To me, the biggest factor on this team right now is something that sounds simple, but it matters. That's getting healthy. I mean, this team, after a couple of years of not really getting hit too hard by injuries, they've been hit hard this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, we took, we could talk about this defense every week underperforming. You know what? I think we've spent one half of the first game this year with a fully healthy defense. And I'm talking mainly about Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. Matt Milano's trying to play, but he's playing like, I think he played like 15 snaps against New England Sunday. Mm -hmm. He was out there for like not even 20 something percent of the plays. The difference between him and A.J. Klein, I mean, Jesus Christ, it's man. Huge. It's huge. Tremaine Edmonds is not 100%. He hasn't been right all year. Tredavious White missed a game. His back's not right. Josh Norman's on IR. Levi Wallace just came back from IR. Mm -hmm. Micah Hyde just missed this game with a concussion. Then you go to the offensive side of the ball. John Brown is clearly not right with that calf. That's been a lingering yeah. issue. Cody Ford is out. He's been out a couple weeks. Mitch Morris, the center, just got his like 10,000th concussion yeah. on Sunday. You know, the injuries have really taken a toll on this team. It would be really nice, again, over the next handful of weeks or so, if they could get this team healthy enough to make a legitimate run. I know a lot of people want to see him make a trade before the deadline, which is at 4 p.m. today, Tuesday, when people are listening to this. I don't know if something's going to happen or not. Mm -hmm. But whether that happens or not, the biggest thing to me is just getting healthy. I'd love... This defense has been really good the last few weeks. Linebackers are very important, and the Bills linebackers have been unhealthy all year. So that matters a lot, man. That's, to me, the biggest factor going into the second half. You so know what I'm saying? If they finish, if they go 4-4 four and four in the second half, how what's what's the fan take on that? It all depends on who they lose to, isn't it? Like, if they beat Seattle, 
And if they beat Arizona but lose to the Niners, like if they lose, yeah, say they lose at, like at Denver. The Chargers, Niners, Steelers, and Broncos, people are going to be like, oh, Jesus, here we go. Like, you know, they, you know, they, they get to like eight. They're suddenly they're eight and six going into the game at New England and with Miami the last two games. They're eight and six at that point. Aren't the fans like losing their mind? If, yeah. if if it's to that point. Yeah, I think so. I think so because I think the worst the best thing about this team is that they started out such an impressive 4-0. The mm-hmm. worst thing about this team is that they started out such an impressive 4-0. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. the expectations just went through the roof. I think you look at 10 and 6 and if you package these games cuz there's eight left and you go 4 and 4 I think 10 and 6 is probably where they fall, man. Because again, so you're, you got Seattle at Arizona, then a bye, then the Chargers at home and at Frisco. Two and two there, I could see it happening. I, they'll clearly be favorites against the Chargers and at Frisco, again, who've just been absolutely decimated with injuries. Maybe they can, I'm not saying they can't beat Seattle at home. I'm certainly not saying they can't beat Arizona on the road, but, you know, maybe they win one of those two and then they lose one of the two that they should. But anyway, that's your block of four. They go two and two there. And then the last four is Pittsburgh, who's the only undefeated team in the NFL at home, though, in Buffalo, at Denver, which is never easy, especially in December, at New England, which who knows where they'll be at, and then at home against Miami. That should definitely be a two and two. You know what I'm saying? So that's where they could go 10 and six, and maybe they win three of those last four and go 11 and five. But I don't know, man. But I do agree with you 100%. If they're eight and six going into those last two games, I, I think the, the sky is going to be falling with a lot yeah. of Bills fans, which is oh, crazy. I mean, that's but that, that's how everybody's conditioned, you know? Like, expect the worst, always. Like, yeah. hope for the best, but you're always expecting the worst to happen. Yeah. Uh, so before we get out of here, I had, last time I had John was in late September, so we didn't get a chance to talk about it. Obviously, first and foremost, I mean, you're a baseball guy, you're a football guy, obviously, but first and foremost, you're a hockey guy. And... A couple significant things happened with the Sabres, so I want to get your takes on them. First, with the draft, okay? So the Sabres took Jack Quinn with their first-round pick, and I'll tell you, for, <laughs> for freaking Twitter that night, okay? Let me tell you something. I, let me tell you how much I knew about Jack Quinn and Marco Rossi and Cole Perforte, whatever the hell his name is, before the draft. Nothing, all right? I rely on people like yourself and some other writers and Chris Baker and and I get some takes and I, and I do some reading and I start to get an opinion. I couldn't believe how many people had an opinion. Well, I bet you probably didn't watch 20 minutes of these guys ever play hockey before coming into the draft. But anyway, Sabres took a winger, Jack Quinn. So let's start there. I want to get your take on, on that selection and maybe what's your opinion on them passing over Marco Rossi and, uh, and Cole Perfetti. I know those are the two names that people talked about the most. Well, I'm... I'm as much of a scout as everybody else is on Twitter. I mean, I, I, I can I can say I watched some some Ottawa sixty seven games, uh, uh, you know, at least portions of them this year. So I, I've got a little bit of an idea. But um, when that pit, when it came time for that pick, I think there I think you can find a tweet of mine really easy that just says "Go and get them," and that was for Marco Rossi. Um, yeah, Rossi Rossi was the guy I had picked out, and um, uh, to me. And this, this is the part where it just it, it, it so much of it feels like Final Destination, like the you know the, the movies, where mm-hmm. you can you can see what you can see how this ends, and you can see it coming a mile away, and there's nothing you can do to prevent it. And uh, 
the the season Rossi had where, you know, 120 points and whatever and just just dominating with scoring and doing that on that that 67 seam was loaded. Um and you know, Quinn, you know, Quinn to his credit, you know, scored, you know, scored 50 and did it not with not a ton with Rossi's help. Like they played on separate lines. So like, you know, there a lot of the discussion was, oh, this guy just made him. It's like, well, not exactly. Like that, there's there's some of that because power plays and 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 whatnot. But, um, but considering what what Rossi was able to do and what he was, you know, what he what I believe he's capable of. I mean, granted, you know, these kids are 17, 18 years old. Like, who knows? Like, you know, I, I think I think a lot of people thought Alex Nylander was going to be a giant scorer at, at some point in the NHL. Maybe still will be, but like it just didn't happen right away. But to me, Rossi was is such a slam dunk choice, um, and you know I know he's a center. Like you know anybody who can play center, like just go grab him. It doesn't matter if you have if you have nine centers on your team who gives a crap. Like put them on the wing, makes their makes their job playing defense a little easier to do that. But um, but going for Quinn, like I, you know, I, people want to be mad at it, and I get it. And like I, but I can't completely fault the logic and the choice because. Um, because Quinn was, he is like a late bloomer and there, what, there is a lot of what he does in his game that is so needed, uh, out of this forward group, um, where he just, you know, he attacks the game. He, you know, he goes hard to the net constantly. He's always, he's always rushing through the offensive zone. Um, he's not like a perimeter guy. You know, he just doesn't want to sit up on the half wall and, you know, snipe shots from the circles. Like that's not. That's not really his game. Like he wants to go in and attack, and he wants to deke, and he wants to score, uh, which is good. Which is something this this team needs. Um, but Rossi, you know, it's it falls back on the whole center thing, where it's like this guy can he can do all those kinds of things, and also he can defend pretty well, and he's you know he's also strong as an ox, and you know yeah he's a little bit smaller of a guy, but who cares when he can play as well as he plays and. Um, that, that to me is, you know, where it, it's one of those things where all the, the tangible things like size and things like that, it's just like throw it out the window for a guy who can just play. And, you know, that, that for me is what made, you know, if, if I'm the GM, I'm picking Rossi every time. Um, mm-hmm. and if, if my scouts aren't high on Rossi, then I'm saying like, okay, well, you know, who, you know, I listen to them and say like, well, who do you think? And then should it, then the question becomes, do we trade down? And if the if the thing is to trade down, then you say, okay, we slide down. Let's see who else is there that's similar to that that we think we can do, or we can justify taking Jack Quinn at that lower spot, which is probably something they could have done. I know it was mentioned on a Nashville uh, Nashville behind the scenes video that Buffalo did talk to them about trading down to, the, to their spot, um, but there's a possibility that could have been. Uh, for the guy they got in the second round in Paterka. So, um, but I mean, at that point, you're, if you're, if you're adding other picks to that, like just, okay, go get Quinn at 14 instead of eight. And then, uh, you know, get Paterka with another pick, you know, somewhere else in the bottom half of the first round if, if you really want him. So, um, where was Nashville? Nashville was, uh, 11, 11. I think they were like, it's 11, 14. I forget. It was, it was something with double figures. <laughs> okay. Um, so they were, they were going to move down at least at minimum of three spots, three, right. to, three to six spots. It would have taken. Okay. So, I mean, you know, I like, these are things you can do in the draft. If, if you're not totally 
a hundred like if another team is moving up to grab a guy that they really want and they want to pay a price for it okay cool like go ahead and do it um like that's great <laughs> very okay with doing that if you're if you're gonna pay a price to do it like that's fine but um and I'm just like rechecking my notes here yeah Nashville was 11 and so maybe okay. they wanted to jump up and take Ascara the, the goalie Ascara of at eight okay like you can do that um, but I don't think the thing that gets me though, is that I don't think the board changes at all. Um, if Buffalo sw- swaps down to, to 11, like, if, I mean, it all depends on who Nashville takes at that spot, but, uh, but if, say if they take a scar of at eight, you know, Minnesota's still taking Rossi, Winnipeg's still taking Perfetti, you can take Quinn at 11. And then at that point, I think you say, okay, I'm okay with that. Um, right. at least at that point, you're saying, uh, at least the, his, his superior teammate, Somebody else took him, <laughs> took him ahead of, <laughs> took him ahead of us. Um, the problem there being is that you could end up having uh, the Patrick Mahomes discussion years down the road, where you, where you say, "Oh, well, we traded down, and this team, the team that was right behind us, took the took the guy that everybody wanted, and now he's a superstar." And the guy that we picked, uh, while still maybe good, or also is good, but he's not as good. Like, you know, it it the, the fun you can have with draft discussions, you know, one, two, three, four, five years down the road, maybe more, uh, is is like that. But um, but like, but at least with the Quinn pick, I understand what they're doing. It wasn't like so out of left field that it was just like, what the hell is this? Why are they picking this guy? Like, it was more of a question of there, <laughs> this guy, this guy had a superior teammate. Why not take the superior teammate? Yeah. I, I I I get it. It was just weird seeing um seeing how it played out in the reaction. Which do you think in some ways too? That's also a product of the team just losing. Like yeah. I feel like whether it would have been Quinn, if it would have been Rossi, people would have been bitching that it wasn't Quinn. If it would have been Freddie, it would have been people bitching about the other two guys or a goaltender or something like that. It's kind of like when you've lost for as long as you have, it kind of feels like you're gonna assume that Kevin Adams and Bagula and the entire organization is going to make the wrong pick because again, these are a bunch of now, maybe you didn't personally watch film on these guys that much, but at least you know who they are and you're informed in the hockey community. I think there's some people out there who couldn't tell you anything about these guys. They just wanted something to bitch about. And by the way, when I talk about those people, include myself because I'm, I'm (laughs) kind of one of those people right now. I'm very trepidatious about everything that the Buffalo Sabres as an organization do with the exception of one thing which is what I wanted to end this with. Or actually, actually, I got two more things, but Taylor Hall kind of came out of nowhere. Now, every year I hear the Sabres are always linked to certain guys, and I'm like, eh, shit ain't happening. And I felt that way this year about Taylor Hall, but only it did happen. Which, by the way, I saw at least some of the process, what they wanted you to see on the Sabres Embedded, which was pretty cool to see that. But anyway, like, what was your level of surprise that Taylor Hall decided on Buffalo how do you think it helps the team? And like, what's your take as a whole with Buffalo? I, I mean, I don't see a whole lot of downside when you only got a term of one year. Like, what's your take overall on Taylor Hall going to the Buffalo Sabres? I think it's great. Um, it, you can't argue with the player. Like, he's he's a fantastic player. He was incredible at Edmonton. Uh, and that the fact that they, they kind of s- stuck blame around his neck for why you know why they that why they didn't have a lot of success is insane uh, because that the reasons why they didn't have success are pretty obvious uh, and it was not Hall's fault um, and you know he goes on and wins an MVP in New Jersey so it's like 
yeah, you guys screwed up pretty bad. <laughs> you traded, yeah. you know, <laughs> you think of teams that trade guys that go on to become MVPs. I mean, the, the Bruins did it with Joe Thornton ages ago. And, you know, Thornton went out and won the MVP like the same season he was traded. So it's like, eh, maybe, maybe you guys screwed up. I don't know. It's, it seems bad, but, uh, but I mean, Hall's tremendous. And, you know, th- there's zero doubt the Sabres needed to add more goals. Like, they, they needed more offense, period. You know, it, it, you know, last season was tough on Jack because it was like, really, it was just him carrying a lot of the load because, you know, Skinner was, you know, Skinner had the worst luck in the world. Um, you know, and, you know, he wasn't, he was, you know, you know, maybe if you put Skinner on Jack's line all year, maybe things are different, but I mean, that's, that, that's a whole lot of, you know, water under the bridge at this point, but uh, you know, but all, you know, Olsen, you needed, you needed another guy who can score more at even strength. Skinner can do it, but you know, like I said, bad luck. Hall can do it, you know, in the by bucket loads, so that's good. You know, you've got Olson who, if he can become more of a five on five scorer, holy crap! Like you're looking at a team that can just pour goals on, you know, by a, by tons with the guys yeah. with the you know with the guys that they have now. And you know, I, I think for fans, the easiest thing to do is not worry about the long term possibilities of keeping keeping Taylor Hall. Just I, I would put the focus at this is a season that's going to be 48, maybe 60 games long. What what games in each of the, like the last three seasons for the Sabres have been their best games in a, you know over the course of an 82 game season? Probably their first 50. So if you're going into this year thinking like, well, if they can just have their good 50 games, same as always from the beginning of the season till that point, they can they can get hot on, they can get hot enough and be a playoff team. With, with the offense that they've got. I know the defense still has questions. There's still questions with the goaltending. But they can outscore teams now. <laughs> and that, you know, you, you throw Eric Stahl into the mix. You've got a number. You know, your, your, your top two lines suddenly look great. And you're probably a little bit worried about your bottom two lines. But you know what? You're not playing them a ton of minutes now. And uh, you're hoping that they're not going to become huge detriments. You know, you know, I know people hate the Cody Eakin signing because – because Larson Larson's a superior player as far as defensive responsibilities go. Uh, maybe you're hoping that Eakin has like a bounce back and he can do what he did in Vegas, but you know we'll see. Um, but they need to be better on the PK, and I think they've got guys that are supposed to be better better PK players. But I think a lot of that's Ralph's system too. But you know, baby steps with <laughs> with all of that stuff. But but I mean, if and, and, and I mean this, you know, I'm not I'm not buying. Like if this is a buy or sell segment, I'm not buying them as a playoff team. Like I'm, I just cannot do it. I absolutely refuse to do that. But short season, weird shit happens. And yeah, like if you if you get the the guys that they have, if they can all come out flying, you know, you know, Eichel's great. You know, Hall is great. Uh, you know, Stall is steady. You just got to hope that his age doesn't hit him square in the face this year. Um, Skinner is Skinner. Every time he has a bad season, he bounces back with a monster season in the next year. Um, if that happens, you know, Reinhardt stays steady. Uh, you know, if Dylan Cousins can jump in and, and be a very positive point producer, if Tage Thompson can, you know, evolve and get those opportunities that, that he needs, suddenly this is a team that, that has a very deep forward group that can do a lot of damage. And suddenly you're not really worrying about your defense so much because Darlene, I would hope that the coaches watched how Quinn Hughes suddenly dazzled everybody in the in the in the playoff bubble with Vancouver, and seeing what he can do and 
people are looking at Darlene going like, why doesn't he do that? It's like, well, they don't let him do that. Well, let him do that. Exactly. Like, like you can, you can see, you can worry about a lot of the problems that they do have, but and just fix it by just turning the on switch with a lot of these guys. And, you know, it, it's, they're, they're going to be a fascinating team to watch. And like Hall's going to bring that attention with them regardless, but this is going to be really interesting to see how it plays out and how Ralph manages it. Because this is, they've got pieces in place where they can they can be a lot of fun to, to watch offensively. If this team's going to lose games, I would rather watch them lose 5-4 games than lose 2-1 to one games where, you know, all we hear is about like, well, you know, we stuck to our system in our game and we just we just came up short. Like sure. Screw it. And it, it's it's <laughs> it's bearable to watch if nothing else. Which kind of leads to my last question and I mean, what you said resonates with me. So we spent a lot of time talking about the fours, the top 6 the additions of Hall and Stahl, for sure, that that's going to help the forwards. Maybe Cody Eakin, we'll see how that plays out. But why didn't they do anything with defense or goaltending? So how much, and again, I understand that I am maybe a little bit too pessimistic when it comes to the Sabres. I don't know, it's just the way I'm conditioned. I don't know what it is, but it's just how I feel about the team right now. But it's like, how much realistic improvement can you expect from a roster when you still, I mean, Darlene speaks for himself. Who knows where, how great he could become, how elite he is. But after, I mean, they, they didn't do anything on defense. They got the same six, and more importantly to me, the the same two goalies. Not, I'm not against Linus Allmark whatsoever. But Carter Hudson's still there. They didn't upgrade a one B goalie. They didn't really add anything to the defense, unless you want to count Matter into the defense. I mean, come on, it's. Like, how much realistic improvement can you expect from a hockey team that did nothing with their defense? Or do you think that the defense is good enough and maybe just for whatever reason didn't click last year? A couple of the guys are younger that they're going to be better this year. Like, what's your thought on that? So you're saying you're not a big Brandon Davidson fan as far as not a huge one. I forgot forgot about him. So apparently not. Um, Yeah, I, I think what it says is that Ralph, Ralph is, Ralph likes, the guys that he has there. I mean, it's pretty clear that he, he does like Ristolainen a lot. I know the fans are, are tired of it. Maybe Ristolainen's tired of it too. Sure. Um, I mean, he said it the last couple off seasons where he's just kind of like, well, you know, kind of waiting on a trade, you know, maybe they'll trade me this time. Like, we'll see. Um, but I, you know, I think I saw, I mean, it's not there and it's not there very much at all in the advanced numbers, but I saw a little bit of a different Ristolainen last year. There were some things that he did that were not the old mistakes. Um, but there's, they they managed to turn a guy who should have been like a, not quite a can't miss prospect, but a guy who should have been like automatic as a prospect into a guy who you now have to like break down and rebuild and get him back into a place where he should have been three seasons ago already. So, um, so maybe Ralph's that guy. I don't know. Like, I guess we'll see, but, uh, I would, I would have, would have liked to have seen more balance out of the defense so that you're not playing Brandon Montour on his offhand side. Um, but Kevin Adams made it, you know, without prompting, you know, made it clear that he likes that he can play the left and the right side. So I imagine that's where he's going to, he's going to wind up on the left side with Ristolainen on his right again. Um, to me, like the, the D pairs are, are already set. I mean, it's Darlene with Miller, it's Montour, Ristolainen, and then you have McCabe and Yokoharyu again, uh, which I mean, it's a, you know, McCabe, Yokoharyu is a third pair. It was great. Um, Take the freaking training wheels off of Darlene, take the leash off of him, let him run. I, I don't think you have anything to worry about that top pair because Colin Miller was 
uh, you know, for all the, you know, whatever they were doing with Darlene last year, trying to make him more defensively minded uh, was stupid. Like just let him, you know, let him be him and figure out, you know, teach the rest on the fly instead of, you know, kind of breaking his, you know, breaking his back and saying like, no, 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 be more mindful defensively. No, that's not what he's meant for. Like if you want to, like, I'm not saying like you need him to be a reckless offensive weapon like Eric Carlson, but also like don't tamp him down so that you have another, you know, so that he's just like a bigger Swedish Jake, you know, Jake McCabe. Like that's, that's not what you need. That's not why he was the number one pick. Um, and then I think at that point you can, you can try to figure out what you can do with Montour and, and Ristolainen. I think, you know, Ristolainen as a second pair of power play guy, power play guy, fine. Like he gets his points there. That's good. Um, but I mean, you know, Irwin and Davidson, like th- those are, you know, those are, those are help. Those are helper guys. Those are, those are injury helper guys. And, you know, one of them's probably going to wind up in Rochester. I would assume, uh, I can't imagine them wanting to keep eight defensemen again. And then again, you never know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's stupid. Like that, 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 that could happen again. But, um, but I, you know, I think, I think Ralph is comfortable with the guys that he has. And I mean, you know, it, it's a hard fact to face, but the team was better defensively last year. Like as far as chances allowed and, and whatnot. Um, they were good at they they were a lot better at, at reducing the chances against them shots against them like everything about that was a lot better um just that a lot of the, like the the sort of basic stuff that you do when you're trying to like hold down a lead or you're trying to just defend in your own zone still sometimes goes haywire and you know some of that is the player's fault so other you know a lot of it's the team you know the the, the, the team's fault for changing coaches every two years where everybody's got a different idea of what the hell to do in the, in the back of the zone. So um, I think some stability is probably okay. It just, I question if stability with the, the group as it's, as it's made is, is really the way you want to go. I don't know if that's the hill you want to die on, so to speak. Yeah. What about fans? Is there going to be fans at the game? What do you think? I mean, I don't, if there's not fans, it's just, isn't it going to be tough for the NHL to, be successful without fans. Yeah. I just, I don't know how it's going to go, man, but I'm, I'm concerned this past year. Look, 2020, I was just so grateful after having it taken away from us. I was just so grateful to be able to watch it. Even if it's just in a bubble and empty arenas, hockey, baseball, basketball, even football right now. I mean, the bills just played the Patriots. It sucked with no fans, mm-hmm. but right now I'm just grateful to have it. But come next year, next season, whenever it starts, I want to talk about maybe February. I think they were talking about, Starting the NHL season, yeah, it's yeah. They're talking like they want to go January first, but I find it really hard to see that happening. Um, yeah, I, just, I mean, I just is, is it, what's going to happen? All right, what's going to? Let me ask you this: business wise, is it what's going to happen if there's no fans? Yeah, it's it's going to be really difficult. I don't. I I wonder what's more difficult if it, if it's playing without fans or not playing at all. And I think that. You can ask that question about every sport, and I think every sport decided it's worse to not play at all and have zero income as opposed to, you know, you know, if every game's on TV, then okay, like you can you can figure it out. You can sure, you know, you you can at least get your ratings, get your commercial money, get your team, you know, your team, you know, your local uh, coverage can happen. Like all that stuff can happen, but this is so much different than yeah, it's more comparable to how baseball had to do it. 
but it's so much different than like the NFL, like the NFL, like, you know, you can, they, they figured out how to, well, they have, I wouldn't say they figured it out, but they decided that they were going to power ahead and just do whatever and say, you know, you know, it's once a week. What's the big, you know, what's the big problem? You know, like, okay, fine. Hockey. Well, my my TV deals too. Yeah. I mean, the money, the revenue just from TV with the NFL is, is ridiculous. The NHL, right. I don't think it's certainly not on that level anyway. That's what no. I'm saying. No income in the arenas. It's like, starts to become a question of, is it worth it and viability long-term scary? Yeah. And that question, I think it's a lot harder for the AHL, the AHL, you know, they, you know, that league survives on ticket revenue and sure. You know, they said that they're going to get started like what, February, like February 5th, they they got targeted. Okay. Good luck. Like, but I don't, you know, you, I mean, we all see the numbers, the COVID numbers, like, I don't see how you're going to get fans into buildings by that point. Certainly not. Like I don't see that likely happening in New York. I, I just don't. And you know, there's five AHL teams in New York, so good luck. Right. <laughs> you know, like unless you're just going to have everybody play each other in the same state, like you know, which they already kind of do, <laughs> already kind of do with the AHL schedule the way it is. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, with the NHL, I mean, if you're, you know, everything has been so tentative, and I think they, I think they eyeballed like mid January as like a target date, or somewhere around there. I don't know if they actually settled on one. I forget. Um, but fe- February seems more likely, um, February with like a 48 game schedule, like, you know, like a lockout year. <laughs> We're so used to the sure. lockout schedules, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I could see that happening and there's still talk of like maybe doing like hub cities just to kind of cut down travel for teams. And I think that's, that's kind of smart, but like, are you going to bubble out four cities in North America to do it? Like, are you just going to send everybody to Canada and like pick out four, four cities in Canada to do it? Like find that really hard to do when you've got 31 teams to, to account for, um, to try to like keep everybody bottled up and try to play a season. Like that just seems impossible, but uh, I don't think any of that stuff's even been discussed yet as far as, as far as solutions and how to handle it. But, um, but without fans, it's really hard. It's that, I mean, you know, so, so much of that ticket revenue is needed. I mean, we know, we know how much the Sabres lost from, from losing out on the last, like what would they have played 69? They had like, th- there was 13 games to go in the season. I think they lost six or seven games. Um, yeah. And that was like, I think that worked out. It was something like almost uh one and a half million a game revenue that they lost out on, like around like ballpark it. And like, that's, you know, for any team, like that's a lot of money. Like you're talking about losing, you know, seven, seven to $10 million in money, you know, just for, by, by losing a few games. Like that's, that's harsh. And, you know, if you're going to be playing games without making money off of them, you know, from ticket revenue and concessions and all that stuff, man, good luck. And I think, <laughs> but my favorite conspiracy theory though, is that this is why they're, they've kind of opened, they've opened up the store, so to speak, to uh, lots of alternate uniforms for guys to wear. And um, I think that's, I think that's a big reason why is because they're like, well, if we can't have fans in, at least we can have the fans buy the jerseys that look really cool. <laughs> we can make some kind of money right. off of this because holy crap. I mean, I know for a fact the Sabres are picked a picked a really good time to uh to, to go back to the old look because man, they, they you know, suddenly they have the, the nicest looking jersey in the league and everybody wants the wants the new dud. So yeah, like you know, make your money make your money somehow and I guess, you know, more jerseys is a is a is a way to do it. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, man, and, and that's how we'll end it. I obviously health takes precedent. Lives matter more than than sports, 
But as a fan, I mean, this really sucks because you got a Buffalo Bills team who they they slayed the dragon. They beat the Patriots. They're well on their way to winning their division, hosting a playoff game at wherever the hell the stadium's called now for the first time since 1996. And I'll tell you what, again, I'm always pessimistic about the Sabres, but that said, you got Jack Eichel, who's probably at peak Jack Eichel right now. Mm -hmm. Um, You got to expect a bounce back here for Skinner. Darlene's going in the year three. Expect fun things from him. Olofsson looked really good as a rookie. You got Taylor Hall. There's lots of reasons, even if the team's not necessarily good, there's lots of reasons to at least be excited enough and intrigued to want to spend your money and go to the arena and have a good game night experience and watch them. So, mm-hmm. I mean, again, all you do is just pray to God that hopefully this starts to to take a turn. I, for once, I wish our current president was right that we were around in the corner. We're not. But I, I, I can't wait till we actually are because this sucks. And again, I get it. Life comes first. Health comes first. But man, it's a good time for Buffalo sports. It's an exciting time. And it, it really, uh, it gets dampered by not being able to, to go to the stadium and, and watch it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The, the yeah. I guess the real Eeyore way to look at it is to say it's very typical Buffalo that this would be the case. Sure, of course. <laughs> the teams, yeah, are, why the teams are winning yeah. or they're exciting and nobody can go well, to the games. Boy, why didn't COVID happen when freaking Dick Duran was the head coach of the Bills? <laughs> you know what I mean? And nobody <laughs> gave a shit. <laughs> why, why didn't it happen when Darcy said there was going to be some suffering? Good. I don't want to watch him anyway. He's just hey. <laughs> exactly. All right. Everyone give Joe a follow on Twitter at Joe Yurden. Check out his podcast appearances, all the stuff's got going on up there on his Twitter, which again, we both might take at least a, a small sabbatical from the, with this election going on. We'll be back soon enough anyway, but as always, bro, you know, I love having you on the podcast. I love chopping it up with you. So thanks for joining me, man. Hey, you got it. Anytime. It's always fun talking with you, Pat. So thank you for having me. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you again. My good buddy, Joe Yurden, one of my favorite guests. Love having him on the podcast. So thank you very much, Joe. Guys, girls, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Also, rate and review. That stuff takes like a minute to do, and it really, really helps me continue to grow this podcast. Of course, you can catch us on all the major podcasting platforms out there. Um, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Pamoran Tweets. I'm constantly on Twitter. I'm on Twitter more than I'm by far anywhere else. Love Twitter again, at Pamoran Tweets. And uh, thank you. You know, I end the podcast the same way every time. Thank you very much for giving up your time listening to this podcast. I know how many there are out there. And when you're locked into this one, it does not go unnoticed to me. I promise you that I'm very grateful and very humbled for you and for your time. So thank you very much. Have a good week. And I'll be back with a brand new episode on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.